Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello? Caleb, hey, it's Luke. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, man, I want to take a break from 30 Pop. Just could use a week off. And I was wondering if in two weeks, when we're looking back at July 27th, that week, if you would be up for actually filling in for me. I would love to. That'd be fantastic. Okay, so here's what you will have to do. You will have to like research and write the entire episode and then record it, and I'll put it out into the internet for you. I should be able to do that. I, okay. you know, have a degree in writing and teach research. So, that's true. That's know. true. Okay, sweet. So July 27th, you'll fill in for me and I'm just going to like take a nap that week. All right. I look right. forward to it. Perfect. Thanks, man. We'll see you. Yep. Bye. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 26, Henry Doughboy and the Bodhisattva. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, July 13, 1991. Hello friends, welcome back or welcome for the first time to 30 Pop. Either way, I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time listening, you picked a great episode to start. There were so many great movies hitting theaters this week in 1991, as with basically every week of the summer, which we'll get into in just a bit. First up, though, a quick happy 30th birthday to the dorky little brother from Malcolm in the Middle, Dewey, or rather, the actor who played him, Eric Persullivan. He was born on July 12th, 1991, and by the time he was 19 years old, had appeared in over 150 episodes of that show, as well as several feature films earned a black belt in taekwondo, learned piano and saxophone, and retired. Yep, he just turned 30, and he's been retired for more than one-third of his life. Well done, Eric. Very impressive. Also, happy birthday. In sports news this week in 1991, on July 7th, then-22-year-old Michael, or Mikhail Stieck, beat fellow German tennis pro Boris Becker to win the Wimbledon Men's Tennis Championship after a grueling two weeks of competition. Hours later, at around 1.30 a.m. on July 8, 1991, a couple of sports figures happened to be dining separately at an Egyptian restaurant in Dallas, Texas. 41-year-old MLB American League umpire Steve Palermo and former Miami Dolphins defensive lineman Terrence Mann when a bartender shouted that two of the restaurant's waitresses were being robbed in the parking lot. Palermo and Mann each rushed out to help and were shot by one of the four assailants. Man in the neck and Palermo in the back, very near his spinal cord. Doctors believed he would live, but would never walk again. Not only did he prove them wrong, but three short months later, he threw the ceremonial first pitch of Game 1 of the 1991 World Series. Unfortunately, the incident did end his career on the field, though. Man, who was at that point working at a nearby home for troubled youth, recovered, as far as I could find in my research, with no major problems. The 22-year-old Fort Hood Army private who shot them was sentenced later in the year to 75 years in prison. 
The next night at the 1991 MLB All-Star Game at the Sky Dome in Toronto, the six-man umpiring crew dedicated the game to the wounded Palermo. The American League won that game 4-2, and Baltimore Orioles shortstop, Cal Ripken Jr., was named the most valuable player. In music news, for the second of three consecutive weeks, the number one album on the Billboard 200 chart was Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, or F-U-C-K for short. The top song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for the fifth and final week was Paula Abdul's Rush Rush, the music video for which, as I've mentioned multiple times over the last few episodes, featured 30-pop favorite Keanu Reeves. I'll have much more to say about him in just a few minutes. The number one song on the Hot Country chart, also for the second of three consecutive weeks, was Alan Jackson's career-defining Don't Rock the Jukebox. We had a new number one song on the Hot Rap chart this week, but it's one we discussed in depth already on episode 23 a few weeks back. Queens-based hip-hop trio Third Bass, with the most ironically commercially successful song of their career, Pop Goes the Weasel. At the top of the Hot R&B and Hip-Hop chart this week in 1991 was Damien Dame, with their song, Exclusivity. Damien Dame was made up of Bruce Edward Broadus and Deborah Jean Hurd, and they were the first act signed to the recently formed LaFace Records. This was the first and most successful of three singles from their self-titled debut album, the only album they'd ever get to release. Tragically, three years later, on June 27, 1994, Deborah Hurd died in an automobile accident at the age of 35. Exactly two years later, to the day on June 27, 1996, Bruce Broadus died of colon cancer. He was only 29 years old, and his death came just one week after the release of his debut solo album, 1996. Awful. In happier music news, we saw the release of three notable albums on July 9th, 1991. First up was the soundtrack for the wonderful Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, featuring all the late 80s, early 90s rock you could want. Or not want. Slaughter, Winger, Kiss... Primus, Megadeth, and even a couple bands with more than one word in their name, like Faith No More. We're going to get into the excellent film to which this soundtrack belongs next week. Another excellent film released this week in 1991, which we'll discuss momentarily, John Singleton's Boys in the Hood. But for now, the film's soundtrack was also new on shelves. I think this is interesting. The movie was the acting debut for rap legend Ice Cube, and as a side note, he was amazing in it. He's a major character in the movie, but the movie's title, Boys in the Hood, is a reference to a song made famous by Eazy-E of Cube's former group, N.W.A., a group with which he was in the middle of an all-out lyrical war at the time, and specifically with Eazy. Now, I don't know that Cube had any say whatsoever about what the film would be called or how it might come off to his former group mates turned archenemies, but I like to think it was his idea, or at least an idea he embraced. It was no secret that Cube was the lyrical talent for N.W.A., and Boys in the Hood, the song, although made famous by Eazy-E, was penned by Cube. With no evidence to support this notion whatsoever, I choose to believe that this film was named Boys in the Hood as a part of the war of words between Cube and N.W.A., like he was reminding Eazy who made him famous. It's entirely likely that none of that is remotely true, and as a good journalist, I want to make that clear. 
Also, as a modern journalist, I'd rather just go ahead and put it out there than take the time to research further and accidentally debunk my own theory. After all, my way makes for a better story. This soundtrack was a who's who of mostly West Coast hip-hop at the time, with the notable absence of N.W.A. or any of its members. It featured Chub Rock, Yo-Yo, High Five, Too Short, Tony Tony Tony, Moni Love, and a number of other artists who were particularly relevant in that moment of music history. It achieved certified gold sales and peaked at number 12 on the Billboard 200 chart. Very impressive. The other notable album released from July 9th, 1991, especially for those of us who live in the southern United States and in or around Houston specifically, was the platinum-selling third studio album from Dirty South rap pioneers Scarface, Willie D, and Bushwick Bill, known collectively as Ghetto Boys. The album was entitled We Can't Be Stopped, and it featured their chart-topping and probably most recognizable single, Mind Playing Tricks on Me. We'll get into that song very soon. For now, let's get back to Boys in the Hood. As I mentioned, 30 years ago this week, on July 12, 1991, this movie hit theaters, starring Cuba Gooding Jr., Lawrence, or rather Larry Fishburne, Ice Cube, Nia Long, and Morris Chestnut. This is Los Angeles, gang capital of the nation. It just goes on and on, you know. Either they don't know, don't show, don't care about what's going on in the hood. South Central L.A. Let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? You shoot the motherfucker. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Why are you sweating me? You're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no bull. Raven, don't worry about it. I have to take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. Heard you like Mr. GQ smooth now. Maybe some of what you got to rub off on him. Ricky was looking for a better life. I want to do something with my life, right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, you used to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something. Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. You looking at nigga? We got a problem here? We got a problem, nigga? Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central LA. I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you're gonna learn. How to survive in South Central? Number one, get yourself a gun, and then South Central That's how you survive. Rule number two, don't trust nobody, especially a girl with a hooker's body. <laughs> Rule number three, don't take your life for granted. This is the craziest place on the planet. Something wrong? Something wrong, yeah. It's just too bad you don't know what it is. I love this movie so much. I didn't see it until I was at least in high school, but I've loved it ever since. And after rewatching it this week for the first time in a couple of years, I'm happy to report that it holds up nicely today. 
The movie and John Singleton specifically were nominated for a number of awards, including two Oscars, Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. And it won a BMI Award, an NAACP Image Award, an MTV Movie Award, and several others. It's also been included on several lists of the top 50 or 100 must-see movies of all time. Well-deserved, in my opinion. If you haven't watched it in a while or ever, definitely check it out. Also new in theaters this week in 1991 was the Harrison Ford drama regarding Henry. Cancel my lunch tomorrow. I'm going to work through and move the dinner to next week. Mm. And call my wife and tell her I can't make dinner at 7.30. Be fine for the defendant on all counts. Yes. Success made Henry Turner's life perfect. Give me a break, will you? I just want a pack of cigarettes. Fate. Henry, I know you can hear me. Made it something more. Cardiac arrest caused a lack of oxygen to the brain. It's going to be a long, tough rehabilitation. I'll be your physical therapist for the remainder of the evening. All right. In some ways, he's starting from scratch here. You're stepping like a natural man. Go ahead. Little loop, cross over. How did you learn to do that? You taught me. Such a shame. I mean, he was so good. You've got a life back at home with friends and family and everything you could ever want. They love you. They're going to take care of you. Well, I don't want them to take care of me, Bradley. No, I don't like eggs. What? Eggs are your favorite. Mm -hmm. Okay, give me a lot of eggs. Where were you? I bought a dog. Mom, look. Since you've come home, we haven't made love. You're nervous or something. Well, yeah, I'm a little nervous. Um, okay, well, I'm really nervous. You did it! Are you my mother? <laughs> I can read! It's not Henry I feel sorry for, it's Sarah. This is Ajax! That's not <laughs> It's like she's got two kids now. Yeah, but doing what? In this case? East Shore Hospital, your famous last case. What we did was wrong. What we did is paying for our lunch. I thought I could go back to my life, but I don't like who I was, Bradley. You didn't like showing affection in public. It bothered you. I don't mind so much anymore. One minute you're an attorney, the next you're an imbecile. That's not a very long trip. <laughs> you can't let them hurt you, those people. They don't know you anymore. I don't remember what I was like, Sarah. Don't listen to nobody trying to tell you who you are. We were in love once, years ago, and then we weren't, not for a long time. But we're better now. Please don't walk away. Not now. Harrison Ford. A Mike Nichols film. Regarding Henry. I do remember when this came out, but I never saw it until this past week. I think because as a kid, I assumed it would be sort of a sad, hard-to-watch tearjerker of a film. But as it turns out, it's, well, it's exactly that. But it's also really good. I was reminded when I finally watched it of Harrison Ford's unbelievable range as an actor. He can play such wildly different roles so convincingly. 
His character in this is nothing at all like Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Rick Deckard, Richard Kimball, or Jack Ryan, but he still totally nails it. One fun fact about this movie, it was only the second film written by a young recent college graduate known at the time as Jeffrey Abrams, better known today as J.J. Abrams, creator of Lost, Alias, Fringe, and director of Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, which he also wrote and in which, spoiler alert, he kills off perhaps Ford's greatest character, Han Solo. I knew Abrams had success as a TV writer in the 90s, but I had no idea that he had so much success writing for film in the early 90s. We'll get to cover another underrated early 90s film of his next year. Again, if you haven't seen this one, it's worth watching. Definitely check it out. Another option in theaters this week in 1991 was the already 30-year-old Disney animated classic 101 Dalmatians, which was enjoying its fifth and final theatrical release. Walt Disney Pictures presents the return of 101 of your favorite Disney characters. That's marvelous. Versus Cruella DeVille. DeVille? DeVille? One of the most outrageous Disney villains of all. In that case, I'll take them all, the whole list. You're not getting one. Not one. She wants the dogs. I want the job done tonight. And she'll stop at nothing to get her way. The puppies, they're gone. Dalmatian puppies, stolen. A sound alert. Sounds like an alert. I hope we're not too late. Now, it's the craziest rescue ever. Go get him. This summer, get ready for daring escapes. You cheated a slip. Surprising twists and turns. You fools. And some of the funniest Disney characters you'll ever meet. They're all together. Aren't they adorable? In one of the best-loved animated motion pictures of all time. 101. 101. Dalmatians. This'll be fun. It originally released in January of 1961, but was re-released in 1969, 79, 85, and now 91. And it actually performed really well at the box office once again. It came in second place its opening weekend, earning nearly $17 million behind Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which brought in over $30 million, coming in first place for the second straight week. Boys in the Hood came in third at just over $15 million. In fifth place was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. In sixth was The Naked Gun, Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. Regarding Henry was seventh. City Slickers was eighth. Problem Child 2 was at number nine. And number 10 was The Rocketeer. I love almost all of those movies. Like, a lot. But my heart belongs to the movie that was in fourth place at the box office. This, its opening weekend in 1991. Keanu Reeves... Patrick Swayze, and Nick Nolte in the wave-riding, bank-robbing action flick, Point Break. The ultimate rush is nothing that comes close to it. Not even sex. We are the ex-president. Total commitment. It's a real thin line between life and death. I'm not a crook. It's not tragic to die doing what you love want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and please don't forget to vote. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. The ex-presidents are surfers. 
You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf. Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. We'll take you to the edge. Past it. This is going to be a great day, Johnny. The taxpayers of Lancet, Utah, they knew that they were paying a federal agent to surf and pick up girls. Babes. Big one. The correct term is babes, sir. Adios, amigo! I'm not sure who was managing Keanu Reeves' career at this point, but whoever they were, they deserve some serious recognition. Because if this wasn't the most important role of his career, I don't know what was. That may sound like crazy talk considering the fact that Reeves played the roles of Ted Theodore Logan, Neo from The Matrix, and John Wick from John Wick, but hear me out. At this point in 1991, Keanu was best known for his breakout role in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, a film for which we show the utmost reverence on 30 Pop. If there was ever going to be a way to bridge the gap between his goofy teenage metalhead character from that cinematic treasure into a serious, reality-bending, humanity-saving blockbuster badass, it was to play an FBI agent going undercover with a bunch of bank-robbing, adrenaline-junkie surfer bros. It was this role. Johnny Utah, and whoever had the foresight into Keanu's inevitable status as one of the most successful franchise actors in Hollywood, as I said, deserves some serious recognition. And don't even get me started on Patrick Swayze. Bodie, the surf guru, only a year removed from Ghost, two years from Roadhouse, and four years from Dirty Dancing, he gives us this complicated villain-slash-hero character talk about range. It's no wonder just about a month later he'd be named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. He was absolutely crushing it. One fun fact about that, by the way. Oddly, the next year, another actor who was also amazing in this movie, Nick Nolte, would win the Sexiest Man Alive honor. Seriously. And Keanu would win it in 1994, but not until 20 years later. Weird, I know, but People Magazine didn't pick a Sexiest Man Alive in 1994. Until 2015, when they retroactively bestowed the title upon Keanu Reeves. Can you imagine spending 21 years of your life wondering whether or not anyone thought you were sexy? Only to find out they thought you were the sexiest man alive the whole time? Probably not. Like so many other things in life, presumably, only Keanu Reeves can understand. Anyway, this movie is amazing and you should all go buy it right now if you don't own it already. If you do already own it, you should buy it for someone else. It's the best. And to my great delight, next week we'll have even more Keanu as we look back at the Better Than I Remembered sequel to the movie that started this podcast. I hope you'll join me again. For now, though, Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, 
Leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. 